guys. Welcome back to the Forking Wellness Podcast. My name is Barry Strickoff, Registered Dietitian. And I'm Sophie Bertrand, Registered Nutritionist, and we are the authors of the Forking Wellness book and obviously the Forking Wellness Podcast. Each week we sit down and we discuss all things health and wellness from debunking diet myths to nutrition information, lifestyle factors, etc. Stick with us while we try and work out what the Fork Wellness really is. I don't even know what we do. This podcast episode is sponsored by Farm Drop, which is an organic online grocery service delivering fresh and seasonal groceries from over 450 local and independent producers with next day home delivery in two hour slots. You can choose from 5,000 groceries and household products, plus freshly prepared meals and recipe kits with minimal packaging. Everything you need for your weekly grocery shop. With Farm Drop, you're not only enjoying mind-blowing fresh produce, you're also supporting local and sustainable producers as Farm Drop's model ensures the sustainable prices paid to the farmer. All meat, eggs, and dairy are certified organic and free range. So if you are interested, head over to farmdrop.com or install their iOS or Android app and get 20 pounds off your first shop when you spend 100 with code wellness. Hi guys, welcome back to the Forking Wellness podcast. My name is Sophie, registered nutritionist. And I'm Barry, registered dietitian, and today we are here with Nick from Nick's Nutrition, registered dietitian. Hi, Nick. Hi. Thank you so much for having me, girls. Thank you for making time in your busy schedule to come on. I know you've got a little one and various different work projects, so thank you so much for making time. No, it's no problem. Thanks for having me. Amazing. So we wanted to have you on today because you are a bariatric dietitian, and for anyone who's unfamiliar with that term, um, it's the study of obesity, bariatric. So can you tell Tell us a bit about your work and your career, where you started, how you got here, etc. Yeah, so I think when I left school, I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I just did sports science at Loughborough, saw a careers advisor and she talked about dietetics, which sounded amazing. It was free at the time. Um, so I qualified as a dietitian back in 2009. And I decided to study it because I loved the power of food. Um, so I became a general dietitian for the NHS for about three years. And then I specialized what we call diabetes. So basically diabetes and obesity. So I ran weight loss groups, weight loss clinics. And then after a year, so 2013, I then specialized in bariatrics as well. Um, and that's what I do now. So I do it for the NHS um, as well as a private hospital. And then a few years ago, I also like went freelance. So I do a lot, lots of work with brands. I set up my blog, like you said before, Nick's Nutrition in 2012, when not that many dietitians were doing it. So um, yeah, that was quite novel at the time. So yeah, I split my work between lots of different things. And yeah, I've also got a toddler, which led me into my mummy nutrition social media account. And that's where I share lots of tips to do with bringing up a toddler so don't not just nutrition but other general life tips as well you literally are a jack of all trades I know I was gonna say like superwoman <laughs> that's amazing so yeah I think well first just like funny um you you told me that you actually when you first saw my Instagram that you thought I was also a bariatric dietitian because it's in my name and just the side note there's this like phenomenon called like nominative determinism I don't, can't say it but it's when you choose professions that you want to go into based on your name and I honestly growing up I wanted to be a bariatric dietitian like you, even when we were doing our master's degree you were pretty obsessed with the whole idea of it yeah I actually just find the science of 
bariatrics and like what actually goes on in the body and how things differ. So different things like um, fat oxidation rates and even like the gut microbiome, the the differences in people who are under that category of like um, obese um, versus you know, people who are not, I just find that science is so, so, so interesting. But then I actually didn't end up pursuing that, but I still can. I'm yeah. still, there's still time. <laughs> what I would say is it's a highly rewarding area. And I think I've always been interested in the study of weight management. So before I qualified, I worked for a company called More Life, which specializes in children's weight management. Um, and that's just how I just how I got into it. But yeah, it's it's a fascinating area. Um, there's now new guidelines out there. So before we were working blind, but now mm-hmm. there's guidelines around vitamins and things like that. So it's a radical strategy. But in my opinion, for people with a BMI of 50 plus, it is often the only solution when it comes to improvements in health and reduction in body weight. Or I guess it's either like working with a bariatric dietitian or bariatric surgery. Yeah. And do you do you see people in the clinic like helping them qualify for bariatric surgery or you just work on the weight management side? Yeah, so I work um, within a multidisciplinary team. So I work with a bariatric surgeon, a psychologist and then and then I'm the dietitian. Hopefully most people have already seen um, like a fitness trainer and their doctor. So they've got approval. And then, yeah, we work together to basically work out who is right and who might need a little bit more support before they go for surgery. There are, of course, a few red flags um, that I I won't go into, but most people who reach the, the weight target or have comorbidities, so problems to do with their weight, can go for surgery um, either via the NHS waiting list or privately um, which is what I do um, for my local private hospital. Um, I actually think one of the reasons why I remember very clearly I was working in practice um, similar back in America and working with people who had a lot of weight to lose and I think this is where that spark in my head was like you know what it's not just about nutrition it's so much deeper than nutrition. You know, no one wakes up with the BMI of 50 because, you know, it, it's very psychological. And I felt like in my training, I really missed that psychology, just interaction. Um, and that's why I decided to do my master's that was more eating disorder based because, you know, a lot of times people or I mean, not that obesity is an eating disorder, but um, binge eating disorder. And that was kind of like where I was seeing a lot of clients beforehand. And I was like, you know what, I need more education on this because it wasn't something that was taught in my undergrad. So that's great that you have like that multidisciplinary team. Yeah, you're quite right there. I think most people who end up having weight loss surgery have got some sort of disordered eating. And most of them, I say half, have suffered some sort of trauma in the past, which Mm -hmm work through with psychologists and of course I've got I've had training in in CBT and things like that but a psychologist has got a full hour just to dedicate psychological issues Um, and what I will say though is that day-to-day in my dietetic practice sometimes 80% of the the consultation will be focused on lifestyle factors other than diet but yeah I think there's a lot of judgment as well around kind of people who are that you know in larger bodies because a lot of people do think I mean you know I'm not ashamed to say that you know when I was growing up I come from very you know slim genetic gene pool but my dad was kind of like you know if you eat too much you're going to get fat and it was like 
And I still don't think the older kind of generation understand that genetics play a huge role in our size. And like you said, other lifestyle factors and trauma. And it's not just kind of, you know, one side of the coin, which unfortunately a lot of people do still think. Definitely. I mean, of course, the environment plays a role but genetics it's how we're hardwired and I think like a really clear example is a lady once said to me um I don't understand when people say um for example they've eaten a family-sized bar of chocolate oh I feel sick she said I never felt sick and most people who are carrying more weight they never really feel hungry and they never really feel full so Mm -hmm. that's psychologically and physiologically different whereas somebody on a of a naturally slimmer build might feel really, really hungry and then really, really full. So it's much easier for that person to regulate their body weight than it is someone whose um, the appetite signals are like a dysregulated. Yeah, mm-hmm. and also people, you know, the more adipose tissue you have and the more fat storage, actually that dysregulates those hormones even further. So it's kind of like just a cycle that I'm sure is quite frustrating for exactly. many. Like once you've got a fat cell, that fat cell never ever disappears. You can use up all the fat within it, but that fat cell never vanishes and it's constantly sending out signals that it wants to be refilled. So that's why if somebody is overweight as a child or in early adulthood, then they're more likely to be overweight later on in life. Mm, it's so interesting about the fat cells as well because as well correct me if I'm wrong but when you lose you know or you have extreme weight loss very quickly that fat cell can very quickly decrease and then you know your body is like I need food because I've been restricted and then it can increase very very quickly as well which can lead to additional weight gain yeah I suppose that's like the um the cycle of like fat um fat diets restriction Mm -hmm. Um, losing weight really quickly and then regaining it. Um, I think the other thing is that sometimes um, in people, when they gain weight, uh, the fat cells give off a hormone called leptin and Mm -hmm. leptin feel full. But in most people who have got um, a higher weight, they've actually got leptin resistance. Mm -hmm. So their brain doesn't feel the fullness, like the fullness signals. So that's again, definitely environment is one side, but genetics we can't change we've just got to acknowledge and work with Mm -hmm. yeah and so I think that the really really interesting thing about the science of bariatrics and for you as bariatric surgery is that we're in this kind of like current environment of health at every size and intuitive eating and I am a huge advocate for both but I understand that health at every size does not necessarily mean that everyone is healthy. So the idea is that you can be healthy at yeah. every size, but people who maybe come through your clinic, they aren't living healthy lifestyles at their size. So I think there's this big discrepancy in the conversation that, you know, weight loss is bad, you know, that we shouldn't be telling people that they have to lose weight. But I still think there's like a medical component for their health. And if you are at a larger size and you eat a well-balanced diet and you prioritize movement and you're sleeping well and your stress is great, then that's that's fantastic. Then you yeah. should own whatever that looks like for you and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. But if you are in a larger body and your health is at risk, your cardiovascular system's at risk, you know, your um maybe not producing insulin regularly and you're not living, you know, that balanced lifestyle where you're prioritizing movement and stress and sleep, then I don't think weight loss is a dirty word. Yeah, exactly. 
think I completely agree with you. I'm all for encouraging body acceptance and supportive, supporting that intuitive eating. Um, however, I hear day to day of the struggles that people are going through carrying that extra weight from shortness of breath to struggling to walk. So if people want to lose weight, then they shouldn't feel ashamed of it, mm-hmm. um, especially if it's if a weight loss will bring about improvements in their health. And that's not to say that making changes to their diet and moving their body more will make change will make improvements to their health irrespective of weight, because it might do. However, that that losing that five to ten percent of their body weight will put less pressure on their joints. They will be able to move about easier, less pressure on the lungs. So yeah, it's it's definitely it's a two sided coin. So mm-hmm. yeah, making the lifestyle and then if weight loss happens as a result and then further benefits are reaped then brilliant yeah it's really difficult to navigate because you know with this whole movement on social media which again I'm completely for I think some people particularly around intuitive eating the messaging gets lost and a lot of people might see intuitive eating as you can eat whatever you want you should never ever pursue weight loss you should never you know go on any sort of diet which to a degree is true but intuitive eating does recognize that you know there are benefits of having you know a well-balanced diet and can you know consuming plenty of fruit and veg and I think because that you know gentle nutrition is kind of the last principle on the list you know for good reason as well we won't go into it we've got episodes on intuitive eating but again that just gets lost in translation a lot of people kind of think well it's either I kind of control my weight with a diet or I lose control and I go down the intuitive eating route. And again, that's, you know, the messaging is a little bit lost. And as a result, we've got people thinking, okay, weight loss is really bad because intuitive eating is saying, you know, we have to just let go and enjoy all foods. Yeah. And I think everybody's different. And I did a post the other day and I said kind of the 10 food truths that you need to hear. And one of them was you don't need to calorie count. And I said, sometimes being calorie aware can be useful, balanced plates, this, that and the other. And one lady commented and said, I disagree. For me, calorie counting is the only way that I have a lost weight and b how I manage to maintain my weight and maintain my healthy lifestyle. And I just said, if that is sustainable for you, then mm-hmm. Um, what I will say is that when I started my blog in 2012, the logo, it's so cringy, was an apple with a tape measure around it. <laughs> basically, Nick's Nutrition was all about weight loss. It was all about restriction. Mm-hmm. I was basically, I just want to help people who want to lose weight, who I don't see day to day. What I've now realized and over the past five years or so is that my following, some people might want to lose weight, but it's mainly quote unquote like the worried well so people who yeah so what I would say is that although most of the tips that I give day-to-day to to my patients who want to lose weight are the same as what I give day-to-day on Nick's Nutrition the Nick's Nutrition side on social media Mm. I put a weight loss spin anymore um and that's something that I've changed and I've reflected on so yeah that's interesting that it sounds like you Sophie you've kind of felt that as well yeah I just think you know health should always be the priority and my kind of issue is is that when weight loss is the goal health often gets forgotten about because you know if you do have a weight loss goal you're kind of in this mindset where you'll do anything and you'll eat anything to achieve it and with that you know you might be cutting out essential fats or you know 
fiber from carbohydrates so again it's just trying to get this messaging right that you know I don't personally work with people to help them lose weight you know health is always a priority weight loss might be a byproduct of that but you know I work more so on their relationship with food and you know maybe fear foods and disordered eating habits but again then on the flip side your line of work is you know you're working with BMIs of like you said 50 plus these people have you know severe health conditions that you know are the research is suggesting they can be reduced via weight loss but again I think that whole weight loss message has then kind of trickled through to social media and just everyone thinks that they need to be on a diet yeah so I think for me the big thing that I can see is that weight loss at a higher BMI with a registered dietitian or a nutritionist is very different than you know, doing the five two diet to, yeah. on your own. Um, and I think that is kind of, I, I just don't think that we can put, you know, slow, steady, monitored medical weight loss in the same category as we can um, restrictive diets. Because I don't like a 30 day juice plan or something. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I think they get lumped into this whole umbrella of diet. And you know what? that's it's so different for someone who you know yeah I just it's so 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 different for someone who medically needs it versus someone who wants to lose weight and will like you said put health to the back burner and just do anything to achieve that goal I think also I think it's about um how things are packaged because I would say Sophie that everything that you said just then is what I do um day to day with people with a BMI around 30 or 40 so I run I run, say, 12-week weight loss groups. So we accept referrals from GPs, um, people who want to lose weight. However, we, exactly like you said, we talk about relationships with food. We talk about balanced plates. We talk about moving your body. We talk about so many different things. And weight loss just kind of, like, occurs on the side. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, like, we don't, we have, like, a 15-minute discussion at the start of every week. It's an hour-and-a-half session. And sometimes weight loss doesn't even come into it. Mm-hmm. We just talk about how people uh, are getting on with their goals and you know, adding more fibre to their diet, you know, making sure that they're having more unsaturated fats instead of saturated. So it's focusing on what they need to add to their diet to make them feel better day to day and things like sleep and stress. So, yeah, I think it is often how it's packaged. And we've spoken about this in the NHS, especially when Health at Every Size first came out like several years ago but the unfortunate thing is that we just couldn't we couldn't change the name of what we were doing because he still needs somewhere to refer so but what we can change is how we talk about um weight loss um trying to reduce things like like weight stigma um you know increasing body positivity because we know we know that if people are in a better frame of mind then they're more likely to make healthier changes to their lifestyle Yeah, definitely. And I think that's why, I mean, even clients that I work with, they're also, you know, seeing a psychologist alongside because the psychological side of things is so, so important. You know, it's all very well being educated on, you know, what good, you know, what nutrients are good for us and why and but actually making those changes. And because food is every day, isn't it? You know, we have to face it. We need it to Mm. live. So to actually kind of implement those changes and, you know, being in the right headspace is so, so important. And also what you were saying before, like, I wish there was a different word for it, because I think like that would just be so helpful because 
as health practitioners, we ultimately just want people to be healthy and happy. And sometimes for certain groups of people, that includes weight loss, but we're not trying to encourage weight loss for, you know, the majority of the population. Um, But if there was a different word, because like I said, like I'm a huge advocate of intuitive eating and health at every size. And I, I really want to see that, you know, prevail in the space of, you know, dieting, but I wish there was a better word to help people who do need to lose weight for medical reasons with the care of a professional that's non-restrictive. Whatever that looks like, someone please let's give it a new name because it would just be so nice to be able to separate the two. Yeah, because I think the problem is, is that if someone does embark on a healthier lifestyle journey, and let's say they're doing it with a registered dietitian or nutritionist, they're gaining knowledge. So they're not having to just follow a fad, which you go on and then you go off. They're gaining knowledge. They're making changes. If the focus is 100% on weight, they might get really disheartened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Throwing the towel. And I'm, and I'm thinking, no, wait a minute. But you're adding more fiber into your you've reduced like look at your blood pressure look at your your blood blood cholesterol levels so it's looking about all the other factors and weight is just on the side um however if someone's goal is to lose weight I'm not going to take that away from them but it's just about focusing on all all the other different benefits and all the other reasons why they want to make a change um yeah at at the same time so yeah it's a balancing act yeah, yeah about like I, reframing the weight loss goal is like it's actually a health goal and weight loss yeah. is a byproduct and it'll happen if you improve your health yeah I was gonna say I talk a lot about set point with my clients which is uh, again we've got an episode on this for anyone who's not completely clued up but you know theoretically we all have this kind of genetic set point where our body will sit comfortably and you know we'll be eating well balanced meals and you know making room for those other foods as well I mean do you is that something you discuss in your clinic Nick because I guess when you are when you do have this weight loss goal that can sometimes kind of make make it seem like you know there isn't room for a piece of cake when you feel like it and you know you can't have a chocolate bar but how do you kind of navigate that with your clients yes I mean I I talk about a balanced lifestyle encompassing all food so I mean I I personally quite like the 80 20 principle of the 80 20 guide in that if you're eating wholesome foods the majority of the time there's definitely space for the soul mm-hmm. food and like you know they're needed with regards to a weight loss goal I mean if you look at the research in the research it's quoted five to ten percent and from on a clinical level when my patients achieve five to ten percent that's when we start to see diabetes medication being reduced people coming off insulin if they're newly diagnosed diabetes we see their their diabetes diagnosis being reversed um, when it comes to to bariatrics, often they might lose around a third of their body weight in in the first nine to twelve months. Um, and aiming for a, a body mass index of around thirty is beneficial. And I know that the BMI it's not applicable to everyone in the population, but it's mm-hmm. applicable to the majority of people um, who don't have exceptionally high. Um, amount of muscle mass and things like that but I mean also interestingly in our bariatric clinics and our weight loss clinics we focus on body composition a lot of the time Mm -hmm. so we've got uh, BIA bioimpedance analysis machines and we look at how much muscle mass have they got versus fat mass um, and prioritizing protein and movement to help minimize any muscle wastage and it is amazing what people can do when they eat a sufficient amount of protein and I'm only talking around like one gram of protein per kilo of ideal body weight a day 
plus that resistance training twice a week, which everyone in the population should be doing. Mm-hmm. It's what they can do, like preserving that that strength and that muscle tissue. Yeah. yeah, that's so interesting. And we actually did those types of measurements, didn't we, Barry, when we were doing our clinical nutrition degree that day yeah. in the lab where we had to take yeah. all different measurements. And I remember we did that um, once in my undergrad as well. But the uh, BIA measurements that they had weren't very good because some of them you can just get in your scales. Um, so what it actually is, is it sends an electrical current through your body that travels through, I believe, the water um, in your body, the free-flowing water, and that helps to um, calculate, you know, fat mass versus muscle mass. But, you know, if you just get the ones on the scale and you just step on it, it's only going up one leg and down the other, as opposed to if you have one of those things that you can hold on to, it will get your upper body as well. Um, And I remember um, just genetically, my body, I'm I hold my weight in my lower half of my body compared to the <laughs> upper half of my body. And we did this in uni like years ago. And I was just like, wow, I did not. You know, you look in the mirror and you think one thing and then you get on a BIA scale and you're told <laughs> something different. Um, but obviously, just the way my genetics are, I, I hold all my weight half of my body very pear-shaped as opposed to my upper half. So it wasn't a full picture distribution. But um, yeah, I do remember I was like, oh, God, I felt like I've been living a lie. (laughs) I mean, off the back of that, though, I mean, one of the first things that I talk about, especially in my diabetes weight loss groups, is that genetically we cannot control where we store body fat. And what we know is that if you start, if you're a pear shape, like yourself, Barry, and you you store your body fat around your hips. That is better for your heart. Yeah. You store it around your stomach because unfortunately, if you're predisposed to storing it around your your stomach, you're more likely, unfortunately, to get things like diabetes because mm-hmm. of insistence. So that's something that I say to people that literally you can't control where you lose fat from, and you can't control where we gain fat. And um, so that I suppose goes back to your your set point, Sophie, in that. Mm-hmm everyone is individual and they might not need to get down to a BMI of 20 to 25. Actually, older people, the research mm-hmm. carrying extra weight, you know, maybe BMIs of around 27, 28 is actually protective just in case in the future they get ill or yeah. if they fall. So yeah, I do a lot of work around if someone, somebody wants to lose weight, they're in the 70s, they've got a BMI of 27. Actually, do they or can we just focus on making some changes to the diet that will lead to weight maintenance but but better yeah improvements in nutritional intake I'm so glad you said that and touched on that because as well you know weight loss to a degree has become like a dirty word like you know we shouldn't be wanting to lose weight and I I get the messaging behind it you know like I said I, I do practice intuitive eating with my clients but if you know if someone is very uncomfortable with where they are because like if, like you said if you know they're holding a lot of adipose tissue around their stomach that might be very uncomfortable with them and you know they might like you said be out of breath when they're just going on like a 10 minute walk and that may signal that actually you could benefit from a little bit of weight loss but again my whole thing would be okay let's just put the word weight loss to one side and let's focus on the health benefits and let's yeah. you know let's take a look at your diet let's see what you're eating let's see where we can make some really positive changes and again it's just that whole messaging can sometimes be confusing for people and the psychological side of your health is hugely important yeah I agree and I actually think it has become such a dirty word and I actually feel bad for people who you know, are in that space and they want to lose weight because I think there's a lot of mixed messages being like, oh, you shouldn't feel like you have to lose weight. But then it's like, but I do, I want to improve my health. Um, And then I feel like that can 
that can incite a bit more guilt and shame because they feel confused with these mixed messaging. But I think ultimately we're all we're all saying the same thing in that, you know, health comes first. And just by helping someone lose weight, it's not really about the weight, is it? It's about all these other lifestyle factors and, you know, prioritizing overall health um, over the weight and the weight loss will come if it if it needs to. Yeah, if you are able to intuitively like we once did as babies and children, then amazing, you will reach that that set point. But I think what we are up against is we're up against this, and you may or may not like the term like obesogenic environment, where it mm-hmm. is it's easy to overeat. Like that's why I like working in the world of, of opposed to people who perhaps struggle to gain weight because I can empathize more with the weight gain side of things because it's just so easy we've got an abundance of food that is there 24 7 we've still got that hunter-gatherer instincts within Mm -hmm. us our genetics have not changed that much yet society has we've got labor-saving devices we make a living from sitting down yeah it's this is what what we're battling against and this is I think one of the first things I talk about with my patients in that you know it's okay for it to feel like a struggle at least initially because of the way society is but it's just about working our way around it and working our way around barriers and finding what works for you and your lifestyle because the best way of eating is the one that suits you and the one that is the most sustainable in the long term yeah and as a public health nutritionist who do who does practice intuitive eating I'm very aware of the fact that you know there's people who live in the countryside who aren't on social media and you know who aren't that clued up about their health they don't have access to maybe some resources that other people do and you know they're queuing up at the supermarket and you've got those like impulse buys haven't you and it's not fruit it's not like a healthy snack or nutrient dense snack often it's you know six donuts for 50p and you're like okay well that's a bargain and then you're like don't want them to go to waste might as well have the six and you know, you're very welcome to eat six donuts in one sitting. I'm, you know, I'm not saying that's bad, but I'm just saying that if that's happening often for someone, that that's not necessarily healthy. So, yeah, again, I think there's, there's what you said about the worried well really kind of mm-hmm. resonates with my views on social media as well. Because everyone that's on social media, they're probably, well, I'd say the majority of them aren't the people that need, who, who are less healthy than maybe other areas of the population in different parts of the country. Yeah, I think often on social media, it's a bit like an echo chamber. And mm. if you're doing a dietitian or a registered nutritionist, then chances are, yeah, you're already half, you're already halfway there. Yeah, I think that's why I think I quite like my line of work in that mm. I in the NHS who are not even on Instagram. Um, and yeah, like about education, um, it is also about it. It's about addressing those re- past relationships with with food and definitely areas. Like if you're not sleeping well and if you're stressed, there's no point in talking about what you're going to have for breakfast tomorrow because there's bigger fish to fry, mm. so to speak. Yeah, <laughs> literally, maybe not literally. Um, yeah, I completely agree with that. And it's you know it's really hard to navigate these conversations because I think where where nutrition is such a nuanced you know area of 
research and science because there are so many different pockets and so many different people and different things apply to different people. So it's hard to just put this like one umbrella term of nutrition over everyone because it looks so different for each population, for every person. Um, and I think that's one of the things that Sophie and I struggle with, um, like identify who we identify with or which area of nutrition, because I don't think that, you know, you know, we can only identify with intuitive eating or only identify with the Hayes movement because there are other movements that suit other people and we can't ignore those. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's really hard to talk about it. Um, and I think a lot of people shy away from talking about it because they're afraid mm-hmm. to get things wrong. And, you know, we probably said things on here that aren't perfect, but I just think having that conversation is so important. Yeah, that's literally why we started the podcast because we, you know, these things, they exist and we, we don't want to shy away from talking about them and to actually speak to another registered dietitian slash health professional is so refreshing. Yeah, no, 100%. This is this is really like changed who I am as a, as a dietitian, the whole like health at every size movement. And I did, I lost my footing, especially with my mm-hmm. However, I feel like I've I found the balance now. I know who my followers are. I know what they want. However, like you, I am still learning. Um, I I do like the majority of health at every size, but yeah, there is that element of conflict in that with my bariatric work and also with my work in diabetes, it doesn't 100% go together. But in my opinion, it can. I think you can reach that happy medium because it's all yeah. about you navigate the weight loss space. Um, and what you say and the terminology, mm-hmm. it's all about how you navigate within it rather than just focusing on you know, health at every size. Um, you, you know, you don't have to, you know, you shouldn't be focusing on weight loss at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was a really amazing way to sum it up, actually. And I'm so glad we got to have this conversation. Yeah, same. Thank you so much for, you know, coming on and sharing your point of view and your experience. I'm really happy that we've been able to give this balanced conversation to our listeners where you know we bang on all about you know not going on diets and why we have an episode called why diets fail and it's a big part (laughs) of our book about why diets fail um but you know to be able to have this kind of other conversation um I think we're all saying the same thing it just it's hard to define when it's all still called weight loss yeah yeah 100% and I cannot wait to read your book girls oh thank you so much (laughs) Uh, well, where can everyone find you if they want to follow along with both your nutrition and then your mummy nutrition page? So I mainly hang out on Instagram and that's Nick's Nutrition, N-I-C-S Nutrition or at Mummy, mummy Nutrition. So nicksnutrition.com or mummynutrition.com, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Amazing. We'll do all the links in the show notes. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Nick. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me, girls. Bye. 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 Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of the Forking Wellness Podcast. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe. And share with your friends and family or anyone that you think this episode might be helpful to. It really does help us get seen in the charts. Please go follow us on Instagram at Forking Wellness and pre-order our book either on amazon.co.uk or barnesandnobles.com.